Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Courage. Tal Mitnick is an 18-year-old Israeli citizen and he's refused to serve in the Israeli army in protest at the onslaught against Gaza and the oppression of the Palestinian people. Now, given the political atmosphere in Israel right now, taking that stand takes a huge amount of guts. What we've been trying to do on this channel is elevate Israeli voices who support peace and justice. Without those voices, there is no hope. Now, Israeli law dictates that other than with exemptions on religious or health or legal grounds, all young Israelis must serve and conscientious objectors face imprisonment. Now, Tal's been sentenced to 30 days in military prison, but he's been temporarily released and speaks to me before he's back behind bars. I start by asking him about that mandatory military service and his decision to become a conscientious objector. Um, yeah, so the Israeli society is very militarized. Um, yes, there's also the um, uh, mandatory service that every child, when he reaches the age of 18, has to go through the process of enlisting. Um, and and serving for two years and eight months for men and two years for women um, in the IDF. Um, and this um, this mandatory service also goes into civilian society where, um, where a lot of society is uh, centralized around the army. Um, and coming out against uh, the mandatory service um, can be scary in Israeli society, and especially today after um, October 7th. Um, so... I'm Tal, and I'm from Tel Aviv. I'm a part of the Meservot Network, which is a an organize, a network of uh, conscientious objectors that um, oppose the mandatory draft and oppose um, the occupation of the Palestinian people. Um, and we uh, try to aid other people in coming to the decision um, of not um, not enlisting in the IDF if it's from um, pacifist reasons or um, more political reasons. Um, we do this. There are all kinds of exemptions that we uh, we support. We we help get, which it could be a mental health exemption, or a, uh, it's called a pacifist com uh, conscientious committee. And also, we uh, some of our conscientious objectors go to prison, which is what I have chosen to do, to do. So, just tell me, when did you decide that you were going to do this? Um, I used to think that, uh, we're kind of just humans in this world and we don't have much, uh, we can't really make a statement because only the, only the people I see on TV can, can change. Um, and kind of when this whole, the protest movement started against the judicial reforms, um, I kind of realized that we do have a voice and that people can see us. Um, and that's when I found Missile Vote Network, um, and that's kind of when I started realizing that this is the right thing to do. Is this something, can I ask, does it, does your kind of family heritage inform this as a tradition or in a way, is this just you came to your, you know, I, I mean, as, as someone who's very influenced by my family, lots of people are, but others aren't. Or is this something that you just, because of the world around you, politicize you because of the events you spoke about? So my family, um, 
immigrated from the U.S. to Israel before I was born, so both of my parents did not serve. Um, and I grew up in a house where we were. I, I was told that we should always question what people are telling us. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to come out and say that my parents told me to refuse service because that's not true. And I, I talk with my, I talk with my mom a lot, and I, we have discussions and we have disagreements about uh, my opinions and her opinions. Um, but she fully supports me in taking a stance um, with my opinions. When you made the decision that you weren't going to serve, what was the kind of responses, some of the responses that you got, maybe from your peer group or, or wherever? Um, responses were were mixed. Um, I think I, I've, I've, with a lot of my peers, they knew my political opinions and they kind of didn't really expect uh, for me to serve. Um, they, well, after conversations about the occupation and the the Jewish supremacy, they um, they kind of understood. And because they are my friends and because I know them and they know that I don't mean any violence, um, I don't support any massacre and I don't support Hamas, uh, they know that I um, they know that I'm doing the thing that I believe in and they respect that. Before I ask you about the politics of it, obviously I'm interested just in terms of, because this is, it's a sacrifice and it's important to make that point. Um, just tell me about, I mean, you must have had a lot of apprehension. You're a young man. Yeah, you've only just turned eight, you're 18. You've only just become an adult, legally speaking. Going to prison is a lot. That's a, it's a big thing to have to go through. So, I mean, tell me, were you, were you scared? And what's your experience so far being in prison? And how long is it likely that you, because at the moment, just explain your hour prison, obviously, but you're, you're going to go back. So just tell me, what was your kind of sense, your, your maybe your fears, your apprehension? What's the reality being like? And how much longer are you going to be behind bars? Um, the Mostly when conscientious objectors object, the first sentencing period is usually seven or 10 days because the, the army tries to kind of show their, show their strength and then try to make conscientious objectors come back and say, okay, I'll serve. Uh, but with me, either they knew me or something. And the, when the sentencing, when the, the whatever commander sentenced me to 30 days, it was a little bit of a shock. Um, and also getting to the actual prison was a little bit of a shock. It was very different from anything I've ever known, um, having to stand for 50 minutes, having to always answer with uh, the correct names of a uh, commander or sergeant or I mean everything in Hebrew obviously um, and having to wear the the, the, the army clothes um, yeah so it was a it was a pretty big shock but I got used to it pretty quickly and I'm not gonna come and say that the that the this is the worst experience a person could have had because just like me there were uh, probably 200 other people there who are also going through this experience and um, thousands others, thousands of Palestinians um, that are going through a much worse experience of torture um, and beatings um, in the West Bank or inside Israel. Um, so this is a sacrifice that I'm willing to take. I mean, can you tell me just in terms of, because obviously refusing to serve in the army, for, for those, you're, you're there surrounded by soldiers who are in charge of you do you i mean what's that attitude like towards you is that kind of do they express a kind of contempt towards the stance that you take it uh the other prisoners first of all the, everyone is called soldier it's mm -hmm. not it's 
it's kind of um, the commanders uh, there are not the prison guards or the commanders. It's like a military unit. Um, so we are all called soldiers. Um, and the, the other prisoners, uh, they didn't love my opinions, but um, I kind of um, only showed my real opinion. I peeled back like more and more layers as they got to know me more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also like kind of like friends from home. They they realized that the things that I'm saying are not radical and like are not this are not crazy. They're just nonviolent and um, pro peace. Um, and they and they actually not only respected my opinions, they defended me when other people talked about my opinions. The prison guards um, can't talk about politics; they're not allowed to. Um, but I have I have a suspicion that they didn't really love my opinions. Well, in terms of the other prisoners, can you explain why, why are they there? Because they're not conscientious objectors. Um, a lot of the other prisoners are uh, deserters, uh, which means that they were in a military unit, and then on one of their when they got sent home for a little bit to to rest, they just didn't come back. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this is from socioeconomic socioeconomic reasons. Um, which means they need to work uh, to help their family or take care of their uh, baby brothers when their mom has to go out to work. Um, So, yeah, it's really heartbreaking to hear all these stories about how they had to go go back, work day and night, um, and then after the army kind of forced them to come forward, um, they get sentenced to like huge amount of days. They could be uh, deserters for uh, three months, and I they could be sentenced for half a year in prison. It's it's really it's heartbreaking. Before I ask you more about just about the politics of it, um, I mean, I, I put some. I, I told people in advance. I was speaking to people who were very excited, and for example, Febzi Hussein uh, says asked what the bigger picture is in Israel in terms of conscious objectors. We know there was a strong and brave movement inside Israel that says not my name, but wounded of Tower was an isolated case. So if there are many more taking the same brave path as he did. And I'm wondering in that context, I interviewed, as I said, Gideon Levy, who's, I think, a really courageous Israeli journalist. And the point he made to me is actually, unlike previous wars, there is very, very little opposition, which kind of emphasises the courage of you and other peace activists that I speak to, um, that the atmosphere is, is is very suffocating. And actually, is it true that basically there has been very few? I mean, you're the only conscious objector that I know who's refused to serve in this particular war. Is that true? And what what do you think that says? I think um, I'm the only public conscientious objector, uh, which means that there, there are a lot of people that object uh, to mandatory service to the period that you're 18 and also object to the reserve, to, to go back to the reserves. They get... Um, they get exemptions uh, different ways and they don't go out publicly, but there, there are people, there are other people except for me. I'm not the only one. In terms of, I guess, kind of how you got to this kind of position, because it's striking in these, you know, how throughout history, occupations always corrupt the occupiers. It's a very dehumanizing experience where you know, the humanity is taken away from those who are occupied, but also it's corrosive to those who are occupiers you know i always bring up the history as a brit what the experience in ireland and the way the irish people were 
brutally dehumanized in order to justify the huge oppression that the British inflicted on Ireland for such a huge period of time. Um, and, and I'm just wondering in terms of yourself, because you, you, you speak, I mean, you, clearly there, you were very clear, you wanted to say, look, whatever I went through, it's not as bad as, say, what Palestinians who are detained in the West Bank go through. But what you've done there is you've, 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 you're talking about the humanity of Palestinians that has been stripped away so much um, because of the occupation, which has gone on for so long. So how, how have you got to that place where, you know, I'm interested in what you think about that dehumanisation, how strong it is, and how you've got to a point where you, you, you have humanised the Palestinian people in that way. I feel like a lot of the reason for the dehumanization is because um, growing up in Israel, even in the liberal Tel Aviv, um, we don't really hear any Palestinian voices. This is because of maybe a language barrier, but also we don't hear any translated, any Palestinian history, anything. And um, reading uh, stuff uh, written uh, by organizations that translate Palestinian voices um, or directly from them writing in English or Google translated Arabic. Um, it's, it's kind of, it it made me realize that, yeah, there are other people and they have a, they have a plight and they are, they legitimately, uh, deserve to live here and to live in freedom. Um, yeah. I mean, on top of that, you know, that kind of, that, that backdrop, October 7th would always be a huge trauma for any society. I mean, for people like myself, I'd always say, clearly you don't start the clock on October 7th. You've got to talk about decades of going back to the Nakba, the mass expulsion of the Palestinians, apartheid, as diagnosed by Betzlen, the Israeli human rights organization, occupation, siege of Gaza, and so on. That's true, but it doesn't stop October 7th. Obviously, going to be that will be a huge trauma. So I'm just wondering in that context, because a lot of people within Israel, that, that trauma has ended, we're taken them to a place where they, they, they you know, the, a large majority support the horrific onslaught against Gaza, which is obviously killing a huge number of people. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that, given that context. I think October 7th was a terrible event, a terrorist attack that was totally unjustified. Um, and I think harming civilians is, is never the way to go. And I think that Hamas is not going to bring peace and is not going to bring security to the people here, not to the Palestinians and not to the Israelis. Um, and yeah, the, the Israeli society is traumatized, um, has always been traumatized, I think. Um, and this is only um, making the trauma bigger and bigger. Um, but the, the we need to take this trauma and not let it turn into revenge. We need to take this trauma and with the trauma realize that the only way that we're going to get security, the only way that this is not going to happen again and that is not holding people under siege and is ending the occupation and is giving freedom to the Palestinian people because they're also humans. It's not that they're robots um, born uh, to kill Jews. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you see, I mean, it's also quite interesting because I know speaking against people like Gideon Levy that a lot of the Israeli public aren't even seeing what's happening in Gaza, that that reality isn't being shown. But... You know, I know you must be aware of the catastrophic death toll and um, how so many children have been killed. But as well as that, you know, the the, the destruction of the medical system, Pro Professor Debbie Sridhar, Edinburgh University, thinks that a quarter of the population could die within a year on current trajectory just because of the collapse of the medical system, let alone anything else. There's thirst, the hunger. Um, I mean, when you see that, what what's your kind of thoughts and do you think there's any way of how you feel about that? How can that, how can other people within Israeli society feel the same anguish that I would hope that you would feel about it? Yeah, I've been seeing horrible videos and pictures and texts written about what's, what's happening in Gaza as a part of the Israeli campaign there. Um, I feel like the, the only the only way that we can really make um, other Israelis see what's happening here is make them like not make them sorry is say that these people most of these people just want to live they want to live they want to live and let live just like most I believe most Israelis want to but they have been corrupted by the system they've been corrupted by the system to think that the only way that they can live and let live is by killing um, and the, the, the Gaza, the, the, sorry. sorry. And showing the humanity, um, of the Gazan people and how these babies don't deserve to die. Um, I believe in the end will, uh, the humanity will come out. But on that, just a few other things. This is, by the way, it's brilliant to hear because like, your humanity really does, I think, really does shine through, um, which is something you should be very proud of. Um, one of the kind of horrifying things that I, I you know, it's, it's not just the atrocities committed against Palestinians, but it's videos by soldiers from the IDF uploaded to TikTok where they'll kind of gleefully go through possessions of, Palestinian homes, laugh around, laugh about them, joke about, you know, blowing up homes, chant about Amalek from the scriptures and how there were no innocents or involved civilians in, in, in Gaza. And I just, I suppose one of the reasons kind of shocked by that is if you're in a place where you're willing to just gleefully boast about it and then upload it to TikTok, you know, what are you doing off camera? Um, but I'm, I'm just wondering what you think about that mentality. How widespread is it, do you think? And, what does that say about the, the the way that the Israeli army functions? Sadly, it is very widespread. Talking in prison to these soldiers that 
some of them were in Gaza a couple of weeks ago. Um, the the regular opinion, the 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 center opinion, is that we need to kill all of the Arabs in Israel, in Gaza, in the West Bank, all Arabs. Um, it's it's sad. It's I mean I see these videos too, and they they sadden me, and I think uh, I, it really shows how systems can corrupt humans. So, so just to be clear, then your sense was actually like the kind of centrist kind of view, the kind of mo the, the the relatively moderate view amongst the soldiers you spoke to is actually to kill all Arabs. Yes, I was told this exact sentence that here in prison, the moderate view is to kill all Arabs. Wow, what do you think that says in terms of how the conduct of the Israeli army must be in Gaza itself? If that's the view that that's seen as the moderate view. I think with all this talk about how there are no civilians um, and how no one is innocent, this bringing to this huge death toll that we're seeing. And also it's hitting back against Israeli society because we're seeing a huge amount of soldiers dying from IDF fire and also hostages dying from IDF fire. So not only, I mean, to, to stop the massacre of the Palestinian people and also um, to, to, to stop more and more pain to Israeli families, I think we need to stop with this mentality. So just on that, you know, I, I suppose that's, a, I mean, what you've just made there is, is such an important point, which is about the rhetoric from the top, where you hear Israeli ministers saying there are no innocents, no involved uh, people in, in, in Gaza, um, talking about all, but you know, Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza being Nazis, that kind of thing. Do you think that there is a direct link between the rhetoric deployed by ministers at the top and what soldiers therefore see as acceptable? Yes, I think people think that until now, uh, the, the strategy of siege and also occupation in the West Bank has failed. I think everyone recognizes that. And what a lot of the, these people are trying to, uh, to, pull, to pull the public opinion to the strategy has failed, now we need to kill them all because it wasn't enough to put them under siege. What we're trying to say is, yes, the strategy has failed, but we don't need to kill them all. We need the, the only way forward is to give them freedom. I guess what worries me, I mean, that it's a lot of this, isn't it? Um, if that is such an entrenched view where you got to the point where soldiers basically think mass extermination of the Palestinian people as the way forward, then what what hope do you think? How how could the the incredibly courageous and I think everyone now listening really can hear just how courageous you actually are. How how can that win? Do you think how how is that because that's such an extreme view? I mean that's a, it's a genocidal mentality, isn't it? How how do you think it's possible to kind of win over that with that with that kind of approach, which is clearly the right approach, but against such an extreme view, how could it succeed? I think I'll always stay hopeful. Um, with every person that I hear that has that I've talked to um, and now uh, doesn't want to join the army, I become more and more hopeful. It's the little things, it's the little steps that we can get. Um, and yeah, I don't think I don't think we can lose hope. I just a couple a couple of final points on that because I always like to end on a hopeful note, uh, which is difficult uh, given the world in which we live. Um, and we have to work with the material that we've got, but there is always hope and you're an example of that. So, um, yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, in your generation, uh, because one of the things that sometimes worried me is 
you know, if I think about Britain or the United States, younger people are just a lot more progressive than older people. Um, and I saw a video in Israel with a, um, a school teacher who had shared an article from the Israeli newspaper Haaretz, uh, which I think was just basically a moderate kind of, kind of peace-orientated article. And it looked like he was going to get lynched by his students. It was just like hundreds of school students. It was, I was kind of shocked by it. So, but is there, I mean, is that a kind of, have younger people become even more militaristic and, and, and hardline, or are there younger people like yourself who see things differently that we can be hopeful about? Yeah, in, uh, in the US or in Europe, I think the younger, the, the child is going to be more progressive than their parent. And here it's looking like um, the, the young people my age are more right-wing and more fascist than their parents. I don't have anything. I think that I hope that they grow and they realize that uh, there's another way. And just finally on that, I did see what I was very inspired by was uh, there was a protest yesterday in Tel Aviv where thousands took to the streets and that included Jewish and Palestinian citizens of Israel marching together. And obviously the only way we'll get a peace is an acceptance that the land belongs to both Jews and Palestinians and, and there has to be an acceptance that, that, that of a shared future. And you could see it on those streets. That's what those people believed. Do you see that peace movement? Do you see that th there is prospects of that of that growing? Because we've seen throughout history, people like yourself are isolated at the time. But who who's who's uh, who's going to get the better judgment from history? Um, so do you, do you see that and think, well, actually, there are seeds here which 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 are growing, and maybe you've seen that from the response to you because you've taken a high profile position. So you must be in a position where you do as well as probably a lot of bad responses, you must be hearing from people in Israeli society who feel emboldened by the stance you take. Yes, I've gotten a lot of hate, but also a lot of support, not just from the international community, but also from from Israeli from Israel from people in Israel. Um, I like like I said before, I think the the catastrophe that was October seventh kind of left this vacuum of who will be able who is gonna uh, present the better alternative to what was happening. Um, and a lot of people went to the right wing, right wing's idea of genocide and massacre. But I feel like I feel like a lot of people are also now starting to realize that maybe it's not the way and maybe there 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 is another way um, of living together. And that's what we saw yesterday with this uh, with the protest. Um, well, I say, Tal, I am in awe of you. Um, and I think what you've done is shown leadership. I think your leadership skills really, I think, come across in the interview. You've got wisdom beyond your years, if you don't mind me saying. Um, and I think always the judgment of history, I think, is is um, it's something I think about a lot. And I know it's not automatic. It's not not as though, not as though always, you know, there's always this sense of, you know, do, is history written by the victors? It's often more complicated than that. But throughout history, people like yourself do take very courageous stance which at the time feels often quite lonely and difficult but i do hope you know that all around the world huge numbers of people are in awe of what you've done um I, i'll i'm sure i hope you'll read through the comments on the video when it's posted and I'm, i think you'll see a lot of love and support uh for the inspiring um thing you've done and given the atmosphere in israeli society which you've set out very clearly in a way which people find quite scary but it really does emphasize the courage of the stance you've taken so i just want to say well done to you. And I know you're going to go back to prison, but I hope when you're there, you, you know that so many people um, are behind you and will be 
ready to stand by you in any way. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, for those watching or listening, please, as ever, uh, share the video, press like, subscribe. Um, but thanks so much, Tal. Thank you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.